Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. I want to welcome all those that are joining us by way of live stream today, those that are listening across the state of Ohio on 880 AM. And then also I want to wish a very happy birthday to Stella Adkins, who's turning 93 years young this week. So give Stella a great happy birthday right there. And uh, we've called the fire department to put out all of her candles. So I've titled the message today, I Can Do or I Can Through Christ. It's an abbreviation of Philippians 4, verse 13. This is a powerful verse, one of the most powerful verses on the promises of God that you'll find in the Bible. If you've been with us the last several weeks, the last several times I've spoken, you know that I'm in a series called Standing on the Promises. You'll recall I shared with you that there are approximately 31,000 verses in all of the Bible. And of those verses, a Canadian school teacher in the 1950s, as proven by Time magazine, after reading the Bible through 27 times, decided to count the promises. And his number was very specific. He said, I have found 7,487 verses that are promises from God. What I want you to know as your pastor is that every one of those promises are as current and as up-to-date as they can be for you as a believer. God not only cares enough about us to see us saved and going to heaven, but in the process from here to eternity, how we live our everyday lives, and he cares about us very much. Of course, the greatest promise that we've all experienced, if you're a believer, is the promise of salvation. We received that promise the moment we received Jesus Christ into our lives. And in this salvation, we have so much more. Peter calls the promises of God the exceeding precious promises of God. The Apostle Paul in another place said, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. I think Paul couldn't count them all probably. But all the promises are true and all the promises are trustworthy. There's so many things that we don't know that we can count on anymore. But I want you to know, I want you to live in the vein, in the assurance that you can count on the promises of God. And I also want to tell you this. I believe from the bottom of my heart that there is a promise for every circumstance in your life. That whatever you would face, be it physical or relational or mental, spiritual, whatever it may be, there is a corresponding promise from God to help you and to help me through those situations. Whatever you need, God has promised that that need can be met according to his riches and glory. In fact, it's not our verse that you'll see on the screen yet, but Philippians 4.19, the same chapter that we're going to be in this morning, Paul very clearly says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And these promises we've been looking at these weeks, from salvation to temptation to moving forward in life, are all promises that God has given us and help us align our life with his will in our everyday existence. Warren Wiersbe is a very famous Bible scholar, and Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, we don't live by explanations. Why would that be? Because there are so many things in life we just can't explain. Lord, why did this happen? Where did we get here? All of those things. But he said this, we don't live by explanation. We live by promises, the promises that come from God. And I want you to know, I know that it's so easy to be overcome, to be overwhelmed in the world that we live in. Have you noticed that there's a little bit of hatred going on around the world these days? 
even within our own country. Dinnertime conversations, you can't discuss the R word or the D word because if you're on the wrong side, you'll be in no man's land real quick. That around the globe, there's things happening that we never believed we would see in our lifetime. There are mental health issues. There's downright ornery anger. There's depression that's going on. There, their world, the inflation and the anxiety, and some people are just downright angry. And, and that includes many Christians who may be listening to me today who are struggling and dealing with issues in your own life, fighting battles and struggles, whatever they may be. And everyone wants to know, does God have an answer? Does God have an answer for what I'm facing today? Is there an answer to my questions and my needs? In other words, does God care? Does God care about what I'm going through right now? And in this room, this many people. And by the way, may I say parenthetically how much I appreciate you being faithful in your attendance through the summer. Our attendance has been so incredible this summer, and I'm looking forward to the school year starting and, and us going. But thank you for coming to church. And those of you that are not able to be here, thank you for tuning in. Those of you that are not here that can be here, get your butt in the car and come to church next week where you need to be. Come on, church. Let's praise God for that. Butt is a Hebrew word for derriere. So, so anyway... Uh, this morning, we're going to deal with that question, does God really care about my needs? And to do that, I'm not going to take you through 15 verses cross-referencing. We're going to look at a single verse this morning. It's a powerful verse. It's a verse you learned in Sunday school or kindergarten. You've memorized it. You've sang songs about it. Some of you have stitched crochet little plaques of it. You have it as a meme on your iPhone or a plaque on your wall. It's very common, and it's this verse. It reads like this in the New King James. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The New International Version says, I can do everything through him who gives me my strength. The Living Bible explains the text this way. I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase, gives us a very colorful rendering. He says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. And finally, here's the unique translation from the 20th century New Testament that says, Nothing is beyond my power in the strength of him who makes me strong. For most of us, Philippians 4.13 truly is an old friend. We've had it. It's been around a long time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But can I ask you kind of a personal question, just reflecting for a moment? Is it possible that you know a verse in the Bible so well that it loses its meaning? Is it possible that the oomph, that the emphasis, that the, uh, what used to be the gotcha, the wow, shazam, is somehow just become indifferent? Is it possible that it no longer amazes you or no longer challenges you? Is it possible that Romans 8:28 no longer has the significance that it once did when you broke it down word by word? Have you ever come to a point that John 3:16 is just another recitation that you know from, uh, from the years that you've said it? Or the beautifully written 23rd Psalm, such depth in the 23rd Psalm that the Lord is my personal me, Frankie. The Lord is my shepherd. Does, is it possible that we can say that so much that we tend to lose its power, the power to encourage us, the power to challenge us, and when necessary, the power to convict us? 
And the verse we're looking at today, the big question is, <laughs> is this verse even true? Can I do all things? Am I super Frankie? Are you super person? Can I do all things through Christ who gives me my strength? Can we really believe Philippians 4.13? This may be the biggest promise we'll look at in this series because it's so broad. I mean, the word all is an incredible word. A lot of circumference there in that word all. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, is this just wishful thinking? Is this religious propaganda from Christianity trying to get unbelievers to sign up and join in? Most of us, most of us would say in our mind, our right mind, our earthly mind, I can do some things, but I I sure can't do all things. I can accomplish a few things, but not even many things. But the Bible says, who are you going to believe? You are the word of God. The word of God. The Bible says, I can do all things. Now, is that hyperbole or is that literally true from God? You see, we have two real problems with this verse. Number one, Paul seems a little cocky. He seems a little overconfident. He said, I can do all things. And then the promise seems a little broad. He says, I can do all things. And so between the prideful thought and the the breadth of what he's saying, it makes it difficult. We know what this verse says. But here's when we need to know it's true or not. It is only when we hit hard times. When you're in Sunday school writing it down or singing the song, we don't need to know it. But when you're really hurting, when the rubber is meeting the road and there's not much rubber left for traction, you want to really know if this verse is true. Is this a verse that you can build your life upon? It's clearly a promise from God. But in light of the days that we live in, is it a verse that we can still apply in our lives? Well, I want to give you four answers to that question that I want you to write very quickly uh, as I go along. Because with each answer I give you to can we trust this verse, I'm going to share with you a principle from God's word to help us understand it. And so let me begin sharing that with you. Can I believe this verse? Answer number one on the back of your worship guide, if you'll follow along, I just want you to write, you can if you want to. You can believe it. You can embrace it. The word of God is there. You know, someone says the the Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it. Well, you know that what I say is the Bible says it, and that settles it. But if you want to, if I believe that verse, if I move forward, you can. And then here's the principle that I want you to see. It's the principle of a personal desire. For you to believe any of the promises of God, it, as a believer, as a Christian, it has to begin with the personal desire to want to be all you can be in Jesus Christ. To sustain and to have all the promises of God that he talks about are being in Christ Jesus. To accomplish your goals, you have to decide what you want to do. That's an important lesson for us to learn. This is my New Year's resolution. We're getting ready to, many students going to the university for the first time, leaving home. And you're going to have to decide, uh, how am I going to survive? And I want you to put your roots down, your, your, your foot down on this verse. I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me my strength. And, and it's a principle in life that usually we accomplish or move toward the things that we naturally gravitate to, the things that we want to see and happen. If you want something with all of your heart, 
and you focus your energies on it, then you'll find that that supreme goal is something that you want to achieve. You ask some people in their profession, why do you do what you do? And they say, I've wanted to do this since I was a little girl, since I was a little boy. I wanted to accomplish all of this. In another place, the Apostle Paul commends that of being focused on one thing. He said, this one thing I do in Philippians 3.13. That's not the end of the story of being able to do all things, but it's the beginning. There has to be focus. You have to have the desire, first of all, of what it is you want to accomplish, especially your relationship with the Lord. In a number of places, the Bible talks about a seeking heart. In the Old Testament, God says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so this seeking is very, very important. And the issue of personal desire is actually a big issue in the Bible. If you want it badly enough, you at least have a fighting chance to get it as you move toward it and and grow in it spiritually. And if you don't really care, then it probably wouldn't happen. You know, someone says, well, I'd love to be a lawyer. I'd love to be a millionaire. I'd love to be a rock star. But they don't follow through on any of that, and probably they really didn't mean it. One of the things that I've observed uh, after pastoring for about five years and 40-plus is in not being a counselor but just working with people and listening to people as they share their problems and their difficulties is that... uh, People are going to get better and move forward quicker if we'll learn to stop saying can't and start saying won't. Have you ever said, I can't forgive them? You really mean I won't forgive them. Because you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength that you need. Once you start saying I won't, you put the matter in the right framework. Oh, I can't witness for the Lord. No, what you really mean is I won't witness for the Lord. And once we get that part of it squared away, we're able to move forward. For most of it, can't is a convenient excuse. We can't do this. We can't do that. Is it possible for you to do all things? Yes, it is. But step number one, stay with me, you must want to do that. The principle of personal desire. But now we're going to go a little bit deeper. The second step in the answer to this in the formula is you can if God wants you to. There must be a desire to please the Lord. There must be a desire to walk in his light. But then you can if God wants you to. And what's the principle there? It's not only personal desire, but now it's divine direction. When you want to do something, wouldn't you want to know that God is guiding you in that? Someone say amen. That you would want the direction of God as you're moving forward. Don't think for one moment that this verse is a blank check. I know I just lost my contract on TBN. But it's not as if Paul is saying, I can do anything I can dream up. This is absolutely not a name it and claim it verse from the Bible. When you read this chapter, when you read the context of 4.13, the verses before and the verses that follow, it's very clear. Paul is talking about varying and sometimes difficult circumstances of life. In verse 15, he mentions the distress that he's in. Notice on the screen in verse 11 what he said. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Not content, but I've learned to be content. I heard about the English. You know, we're all English according to the Amish. But the English man and his family decided they wanted away from the hustle and bustle of city life. And they bought some property up in Holmes County near a Quaker family. And the Quaker family came over and knocked on the door and said, we are thy neighbors. If you need anything at all, tell us, and we'll show you how to get along without it. (laughs) 
sometimes we just need to learn how to get along without it. And the apostle Paul is saying, I've learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. Paul, what do you mean by that? There's a guy who I, I just really like, Ray Pritchard. And I know uh, Sears family, you know Ray personally. And it's a great, great man of God that I follow. But Ray took this verse and paraphrased it. And he said this, of, of, of uh, verse 12 of Philippians 4. Paul said, sometimes I have a roof over my head and sometimes I don't. I've been laid up sick. I've had good health. I've eaten like a king and I've had nothing on my plate. I've had money in the bank and I've been flat broke. I've learned to be content no matter what my situation may be. And he said, and with that in mind, the way you can read Philippians 4.13 is, I've learned through the power of Jesus Christ that I can face whatever comes my way. In other words, if it's good, I can enjoy it. If it's not so good, I can deal with it. To learn to say, I can deal with this with the help of Jesus Christ. I can deal with this with God. Not everything is good, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love Christ Jesus. What does that mean to us today? That through Christ, you can do everything that God wants you to do. You can face everything he wants you to face. You can fight every battle that he wants you to fight. You can obey every command. You can obey every trial. We can overcome every temptation through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a simple phrase. Maybe you ought to just jot this down real quick. If God is in it, you can do it. If God is in it, I can do it. Just write that down somewhere. If God's leading, if God's directing, if, I, if God is in it, I can do it. And that brings it all together. In other words, if God is in your difficulty, you can face it. If God is in your failures, you can overcome them. If God is in your dreams, then every single one of them you can count on coming to pass. If God is in your goals, you can achieve every single one of them. If God is in your prayers, he will not only hear them, he will answer them. When we learn to pray in cooperation with God, amazing things begin to happen. So here's the question again. Can you really do all things? First, you can if you really want to. Secondly, you can if God wants you to. The third answer I want you to write down, though, is you can if you rely on Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. And here's the principle. Not only divine direction, but now it's the principle of divine enablement. Of being able not only to have direction, but all of a sudden I'm able to do something that I couldn't do five minutes ago. Or one year ago without Jesus Christ. This is the heart of this verse. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Now watch this. Who gives me my strength. That's the powerful part. And I understand that in the original language, that means having strength poured into you. It's not that you have to go to the spa and work out. Everyone say amen. amen. Glory to God. It is that that strength is poured into you by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus Christ. It comes to yourself. It's the picture of an empty vessel being filled by an outside source. This is our life in a natural state. This glass is getting a lot of use this month around here at Genoa, by the way. Have you noticed that? I'll rent it out to you in September. But you had to be here to know that. But our lives are empty. And the strength is not something we work up peppered with promotion. You don't become more spiritual by going, hallelujah, or swinging from a chandelier, or fasting, or mourning for seven days in the wilderness. 
Those may be times that God will call you to do something like that. But our strength, any strength that I have, any strength that you have, comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way in the original Greek language that phrase should read, who gives me my strength, literally should be like something be pouring, poured into you. I can do all things through Christ who pours his strength in me. And as I need it, and he pours it in, and he pours enough, it spills all over the place. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever, listen to me. Have you ever been in a church service and see someone weeping and crying and rejoicing and doesn't have an ounce of religion in them? That's because the real and genuine is pouring all around them. They get splashed and they think they got the Holy Ghost. They just got a bath. They need to get saved and get right with God. But the Lord has enough that he's not going, okay, one drop for you and that's all you get. Two drops for you. I mean, he lavishly pours upon us all the strength that we need. And then what was empty, what was void, all of a sudden we have strength to be able to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. Jesus Christ comes along and he says, my child, if you will trust me, if you will trust my eternal omnipotent strength that I have, I will pour that into your life. And when we face problems, now you know I'm telling you the truth. Do you remember the last problem you had? You didn't know how you were going to get through it, around it, over it, or stand with it. And the Lord just came in a sweet and precious way, if you're a child of God, and poured his strength in you, and you're getting through it. I've said this many times. I can't tell you how many women whose husbands I visited, uh, visited with the wives when their husbands were in the hospital at the point of going home with Jesus. And over and over, I'd hear the wife say these crazy words. I don't know what I'm going to do without him. I can't make it without him. I can't get through this. And invariably, at the funeral service and thereafter, there's a supernatural abundance of grace and strength that the Lord has just dumped on that widow, on that person. And I look at them. I said, I thought you couldn't do this. And they say, always they say, I don't know how I'm doing this. I said, I do. It's the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things, all the time, whoever you are, whatever your gender is, the Lord will never put more on you than you're able to bear. He will always be with us in those situations. And this makes Philippians 4.13 totally different than the secular approaches to life of overcoming problems. This is not mind over matter. This is not name it and claim it and frame it. This is not PMA or any of those things. I mean, how far will PMA, for those of you in the dark ages, that means positive mental attitude. How, how, how far will positive mental attitude really take you when you lose your job? When you come home and your wife informs you that she's leaving? When the stock market crashes? When your daughter tells you she's now decided to get an abortion instead of carrying that baby to full term? I mean, where's the hope in life? What will you cling to then? How will you find strength to go on? Where's the anchor for your soul? Trust me, my friend, it's read a lot of Earl Nightingale books. You'll need to know that there's something more than ink on a page. There has to be an anchor. You have to have Jesus Christ on the inside. So here's some questions for you to contemplate. Are Christians better than other people? No. We're all sinners saved by grace. Are we stronger than other people? No, we're really not. We're human. Does God give us a free pass so that what happens to other people in the world does not happen to us? I mean, are we exempt from the coronavirus? <coughs> no. 
Are we exempt from other diseases that can invade our body? No, we're not. We suffer heartache and disappointment just like everyone else in the world. We endure suffering and sadness and opposition. And and we weep because we live in a fallen world. And and all that anyone else suffers, Christians suffer also. Well, you say, what makes the difference? The only difference is Jesus Christ within. Greater is he that is in me than the things that come to me in this world. You've got to have Jesus Christ on the inside to even understand these promises, much less claim these promises, to grasp them. That's why Warren Wiersbe says we can't see the way the world does. Paul addressed this in another famous passage in Romans 8.35. Notice on the screen. He said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the truth of the matter is, all of these things can happen to the children of God. In other scripture, you read about the children of God being slain, being killed, going through great persecution. But none of those things, the promises, can separate us from Jesus Christ. We're bound to him by cords that nothing on this earth could ever understand. Is Jesus enough for the problems of life? The answer is yes, a thousand times yes. And the saints across the ages would say the very same thing. Nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul not one time ever said, Jesus will get you out of your trouble. So when someone wants you to buy a little vial of holy water or send money to get a prayer handkerchief to get out of all your problems, stop it. You send that check to Genoa Church. Well, I'm loving it. You're giggling. I'm taking it as an amen. (laughs) But nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say Jesus will get you out of your trouble, but he does say Jesus will never leave us. You can do all things if you rely on Jesus Christ, not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, and not in your own ability to figure things out. But if you say this, if you say, Lord, I'm relying on you. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. Lord, you're my only hope. You're my righteousness. You're my future. You're everything, Lord. I look to you. And if you do that, then you can do all things through Christ. One more answer. Can you do all things? The fourth thing that I want you to write down is you can if you'll start today and don't look back anymore. So many of us live in yesterday. Yesterday, and yesterday is over. It ended last night. And to go back and deal with those worries and those failures and those hurts and those hang-ups, you'll never get the peace that God wants you to have. You know, a lot of people think that maybe the number one rock song that was ever written was one by Elvis or something. But you know what it was? It was the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And that's the world today. There's no satisfaction in the things of this world. There's no satisfaction in the goals and the dreams that we have without Jesus Christ. The Bible says, having begun a good work, we know that he will complete it. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1 that if we walk in the light, as he is in light. Don't look back. Don't become Lot's wife and turn in a box of Morton salt on me. You want to keep moving forward. And from today forward, whatever has happened, you can't change it. Going back would just put you back in that same position. One writer said you can't stay in stagnation because life is a river that flows ever onward. 
And yet the truth is many people, and may I say this in all love, many Christians try to live in the past, fret over things that have happened. And I I don't want to be flippant when I say this. You have to forget it. You have to let it go. There may be a time where you go and you repent and you make things right with individuals or situations, but there has to come a point in time where you turn the light switch off on yesterday and you move forward. And today, this is the day the Lord has made. Not yesterday that you're going to live in, but this is it. You can't go back even if you wanted to. Remember the first rule of spiritual progress. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must move forward. Onward, Christian soldiers. Would you write this down somewhere? There is no reverse gear in a spiritual life. We don't have reverse. Forward, onward, upward. The river of God's purpose flows only in that direction, forward. Now, let me put all this together for you. Can you really do all things through Christ? The answer is yes, you can. And here are the four principles. If you look on your outline that I shared with you, it has to begin with personal desire. Then there's divine direction. Then there's divine enablement. And then there's a personal choice in your life to follow through with what God has enabled you to do. Notice the first one is personal. The next two principles are divine. And the last one is personal. I think Philippians 4.13 is the keystone verse, the classic verse of God and man working together. We do our part, and God does his part. There has to be that personal choice. There has to be that personal desire. And there's a perfect balance. Two of those depend on you, and two of those depend on God. Does it depend on you? Yes, you have to decide. You have to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If God be God, then serve him. Does it depend on God? Yes, because he has promised that he will be with us every step of the way. Look at the verse again. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It begins with I, I can do, and it ends with me. And Jesus Christ is in the middle. That's why we boil it down to what I've called the message today. I can through Christ. And to make it clear, let me explain what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, in case you walk out of here and say that I did, I'm not saying that you can do all things. Those are the words of a boaster. I'm not saying that you can do some things. Those are the words of a doubter. And I think it breaks the heart of Jesus when we doubt his power and ability to work and perform in our lives. But I am saying I can do all things through Christ that God would direct me to do and Christ would enable and empower me to do. And I can overcome every temptation and I can endure every trial. I do not have to sin. I do sin. I do fall short. But God did not prescribe that I have to keep failing to live before him you can do everything that God wants you to do through Jesus Christ maybe you should make that title the message a a little plaque on your refrigerator I can through Christ you know I didn't go to seminary but I did go to kindergarten (laughs) and some of you in your esteemed education where you were educated way beyond your intelligence may remember the classic little book, The Little Engine That Could. If you remember it, just raise your hand. I'd like to get my stool and read it to you because some of you sleep. I just want to help you go to sleep when you're, when you're in the services. But, but you remember in that classic little book that I borrowed from my grandson last night. It, I'm sure you remember how it goes. 
The boys and girls are on the other side of this big mountain, and they're waiting for a train to bring them their toys. They've been waiting so very long, and the train was filled with teddy bears and stuffed animals and jackknives and tops. And, and there were baskets that were filled with candy and, and, and food and, and red-cheeked apples, I remember, and big golden oranges and bottles of creamy milk that they could have for breakfast and fresh spinach for dinner and peppermint drops and lollipops for dessert. But to get to the town, you had to go up this very steep mountain, up, up, up the mountain, and then down, down, down on the other side. Not an easy thing to do. And when the train that's going to bring the toys to the boys and girls gets to the last stop before the mountain, you may recall that the train broke down, the engine broke down. What to do? The engineer began looking for other engines that would be willing to take that, that train over the mountain. And no success. One train said, I'm too old, I'm tired, I can't do it. Let the young engines do it. Went to another engine and said, will you take it? And that engine said, I only carry first-class passengers. This is VIP only to go through there. One by one, all the engines said no. And then from over in the corner, the voice says, sound like Pee Wee Herman. I'll do it. I'll try. I'll, I'll try to get it over the hill. And you remember, it was a little blue switch engine. Not much power. He says, I'll carry the train with the toys over the mountain to the boys and girls on the other side. And they said, but you're much too small. He said this. He said, I'm willing to give it a try. Good night. Let me try. So they hooked up the engine with the toys, and that's where the drama begins. You know how that little engine went. Started going up that big mountain. Puff, puff, chug, chug. Puff, chug. Puff, puff, puff. And as it gathered speed, the little engine could be heard saying, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Each time, a little faster than before, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Up the mountain, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And finally, at the last moment, with the last ounce of energy that engine had, the train cleared the crest and started the other side going down. And seeing the train, the children are cheering and waving. Come on, we're over here. And they dance with the delight. And down the mountain, the train went chuck, 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 chuck. And he said, I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. The last time I heard of that story being told from a pulpit was Dr. John Walvoord, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, for 34 years, wrote 30 books on theology, incredible, brilliant mind of God. And he said, you know, that's a great story. It's just theologically not true. Because the engine said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And as a Christian, we say, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. And not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ. I can do this. And the only way you can access I can do this is by claiming the promises of God. It was in the wee early morning hours yesterday that my phone rang. And the caller identified himself as an officer from the Delaware City Police Department. And they said, is this Pastor Frank? And I said, yes. They said, there's been a death. Can you come to Delaware? And I got out of bed knowing none of the circumstances at all. And they didn't give me any of the circumstances. They gave me the address to come to. And I don't even know how they got my cell number because the person that I went to meet certainly did not have it. Um, and so I get to Delaware early in the morning, and one of our precious members who have not been in this church for five years, they attended here. They had moved here from California. Uh, they attended Genoa. 
the wife who is who I was there to see, uh, her name was Wanda Swank, passed away in the early hours yesterday morning, and Dave was there by himself. They have 10 children, but they're all across the United States, and they're here by themselves. And the police, I want to commend the Delaware City Police Department. For three hours until I got there, they stayed in that house with a chaplain to console that gentleman in his house. I think it was incredible. And when I got there, we talked, we cried, we sat in silence. But I will remember the day best by what happened toward the end. I was getting ready to leave because family was going to drive from Kentucky to be with him. I'd gone out and gotten him breakfast and brought it back. And we started sharing the promises of God because Wanda was a believer. And I said, Dave, I know this is the hardest thing you've ever gone through, but you know to be absent from the body. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we started talking about heaven. I said, Dave, do you realize you have more reason to go to heaven today than you did before today? Do you realize you have more real estate on the other side of eternity now than you do on this side of eternity? One of the amazing things about growing older is that God somehow allows a transfer. The things that we once thought were so important, that RV, that vacation, that hobby, begin to transfer to eternal values and goals. And I said, Dave, you're richer on the other side, and you have more reason to tell your children and your grandchildren about Jesus Christ than you ever did before. And when we left, I thought we were in the middle of camp meeting. It was a wonderful moment what the promises of God, the assurance of standing on them can do for each one of us. But may I be very frank with you, those in this room, those watching by live stream, listening by way of radio, these promises are only for the children of God. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this has just been a motivational talk. This is just a motivational speech. And one day you will die and you have no idea what misery is until you split hell wide open for all of eternity. The Bible says there's suffering, there's pain, and the torment of their smoke ascendeth before the Lord forever and ever and ever. Don't take lightly the invitation of God through Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven and to have a home in heaven. And to be with us every step of the way. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm asking you to have a relationship. Even as we sit here this morning, in the quietness of this moment, the Lord maybe is speaking to your heart and drawing you. Would you claim the promise of salvation? You say, what is the promise? The Bible says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful promise. Some people tell me some are elect. Some are not elect. I don't know. The more I witness, I meet more of the elect more that want to be saved. You say, well, I want to be saved. I don't know if I'm the elect. Here's how you know you're the elect. Ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Let him come in and do a tremendous work in your heart, and you can leave here a changed person.